Thanks for listening to this sermon recording from Liberty Family Church in Hillsville, Victoria, Australia. All of our sermons are available for free online, and we encourage you to subscribe to our sermon podcast through iTunes or by clicking the button on our website. If you'd like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, or would like more information about our church, head to www.libertyfamilychurch.net.au. God bless you, and we pray that this sermon recording encourages you and strengthens your faith in Jesus Christ. Good morning. I'm sure we all know the value of firm foundations. The house we live in, the buildings where we work, study, shop, all depend on having solid foundations. Now, if a building lacks good, solid foundations, it's simply unlikely to remain standing for very long. Anyone who has built any type of structure, from a garden shed, a children's cubby house, or even a full-size house, can tell you that the time spent on getting foundations right is time well spent. Any problem in your foundations will cause problems in the rest of the structure, perhaps weakening it to the point where it simply will not stand. Getting your foundations right is vital, and this applies equally in our lives and in particular, in particular, in our Christian walk. This is what Jesus said about it in Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the the wisdom in those words of Jesus that he gave in that um, section of the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, I thank you for the firm foundation that is in you, the revelation of you. You are the rock. You are the rock of our salvation. And Lord, I pray that in this message it will help to draw people to you, demonstrate the truth of your word. I pray that everyone who hears this will be encouraged to seek you out, to know you more, to love you more. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There has been and continues to be much debate in the global church concerning the historicity, or if you like, the historical accuracy, or otherwise, of the book of Genesis. 
Many theologians believe that the first part of Genesis is merely an, an allegory, a, a story of the origins of the world and of the human race. Others believe it is an historical record and is to be interpreted literally. There are also many strongly professing Christians who believe it simply doesn't matter what we think about Genesis and so completely sidestep the whole discussion. But what about you? Where do you stand? What is your position? Is this something you've even thought about? From my perspective, I believe it is a matter of great importance and it is foundational to our faith. Hear me carefully. It is not, it is not a question that determines salvation. It is, however, a matter that explains why we need to be saved. This is also not it is not a religion versus science debate. Actually, I believe science and religion, and specifically Christianity, only make sense in light of each other. They only make sense in light of each other. I find it really interesting that Genesis has come under extraordinary and sustained attack because we all know the best way to destroy a building is to attack its foundations. Similarly, attack the foundations of our Christian faith and it too is liable to crash and burn. And there are sadly some very well documented cases of very strong, vibrant and active Christians who started to doubt the historical reliability of Genesis. And this in turn led them to question the rest of the Bible and ultimately lose their faith. If you want to do some research, I suggest look up the story of Charles Templeton, who was a contemporary of Billy Graham. I do warn you, however, it is a very sad tale. A very sad tale. Now, hear me very clearly, please. I am not saying, I am not saying, just read and believe the Bible without any regard to any other view. Far from it. I am saying, do your research so that you can confidently read and believe the Bible despite alternate views. You may recall me previously encouraging you to be a Berean. I do so again. Be a Berean. Check it out. There is no doubt Darwin's theory of evolution has played a major part in undermining the literal and historical view of Genesis. Well, today I want to look at, very briefly, four icons or images of evolution that I'm sure most of us would have been exposed to at some time. Images that are portrayed as fact and are included in textbooks studied in schools today. As parents, we are called to teach our children well. 
This message may be of assistance to you in that task as you seek to counter the unbridled naturalistic materialism that is portrayed in our education curriculum and in our media. So let's get started. Firstly, first icon, the Stanley Miller experiment, creating life in a test tube. This was hailed as the great breakthrough in understanding how life began in what was thought to be the situation on Earth some one to four billion years ago. In 1953, Stanley Miller sought to replicate the environment he believed existed at that time in a test tube and then to pass currents of electricity through it simulating lightning strikes in that primordial atmosphere. To his delight, to his delight, he discovered that some amino acids were created and so he gleefully announced to the world he had created life from non-life. However, let's just look a little bit closer. Theories of what the atmosphere was like at that time have changed since the experiment was conducted. Since the 1960s, 1960s, so less than 10 years after the experiment, scientists believe the atmosphere was vastly different to that simulated in the experiment with a vastly different chemical composition. This simply renders the experiment to being of mild intellectual interest. It did not simulate the production of life from non-life on the supposed primordial Earth. Also, while amino acids are, yes, the building blocks of protein molecules, which are in turn the building blocks of cells, Bear in mind that all of these have to be arranged in very specific and quite complex sequences. So, even if, even if the experimental conditions were representative of what is now believed to have been the chemical composition at that time, they were a very, very long way off from creating a living cell. In short, the Stanley Miller experiment, busted, busted by secular scientists. Next, next icon. I'm sure we've all seen pictures of Darwin's so-called tree of life. I think every high school science textbook has a picture representing his theory that all living creatures had a common ancestor. He proposed that natural selection and mutations led to the gradual development of all species of plants and animals. Yet, scientists also believe from their study of the fossil record that in what is known as the Cambrian geological era, which they purport was around 540 million years ago, there was an extremely sudden explosion of new life forms. And they actually call it the Cambrian Explosion. 
And this just utterly flies in the face of the slow and gradual development that evolution proposes. So, Darwin's tree of life, busted, busted by secular scientists. Third one, we now come to my particular favourite, Ernst Haeckel's drawings of embryos. Haeckel's drawings were made in 1847, not long after the publication of Darwin's theory, and were a various species of animal, as well as humans, at three different embryonic stages. The similarities were remarkable between fish, reptile, mammal and human. On a picture that you can hopefully see, and I, I recognise it might be a little bit fuzzy, Haeckel drew embryos of a fish, a salamander, a tortoise, a chicken, a hog or a pig, a calf, a rabbit and a human, human being on the right hand side of that picture. Have a look at the top line in particular. There is incredible similarity. Incredible, incredible similarity. Surely, surely these confirm the common ancestry of all living creatures. Well, they might, if they were genuine. However, however, it has been well known since the 1860s. Yep, you heard right. The 1860s. That they were fakes. They were fakes. Haeckel doctored the drawings to attempt to show similarity and so support the proposition of common ancestry. We would say today he photoshopped them to get them to look how he wanted. Ernst Haeckel busted, busted by secular scientists. Okay, fourth one. What about the Archaeopteryx, the so-called missing link? When Darwin published his theory in the 1850s, he acknowledged the greatest weakness of his theory was in the lack of transitional forms in the fossil record. He hoped that as the years passed, new finds would vindicate and confirm his theory. Shortly after the publication of Darwin's theory, a discovery was made of a fossil in a German quarry, the fossil being called an Archaeopteryx. It was believed to have been a transitional form between reptiles and birds. Ah, the sweet sound of success. Theory proved. Well, no. No. The Archaeopteryx has been closely studied and is believed to be a bird. Simply, a bird. Not part reptile, part bird. A bird. Archaeopteryx, the missing link. Busted. Busted by secular scientists. All four of these so-called icons of evolution 
fail under any close scrutiny. Please note, they have all been discredited by secular science. So why are they still representing this theory of evolution? Why do textbooks still proclaim these as proof of this theory? Why are your children still being told these blatant lies? Personally, I think it's because they haven't got anything better to represent this theory that, to me, is as bankrupt as the icons that are supposed to support it. It seems to me that the only reason anyone would hold on to the theory of evolution is because it remains the only possible, yet clearly, deeply, very deeply flawed, explanation for the world around us having developed without supernatural intervention. As noted atheist Dr Richard Dawkins has said, evolution allows him to be an intellectually satisfied atheist. Because to discount evolution is to invite the possibility of a divine creator, which is something that a devoted atheist cannot and will not consider. My encouragement to you is to get informed. Get informed. Have a look at the textbooks that your children are using, and if they're not at that stage yet, when they do reach that point, check out their textbooks every year. Help them to discern the truth from the lies. Help them to trust in the Word of God, who was, after all, the only eyewitness to the creation which he has recorded in his word. There is a wealth of information available to support the biblical account of creation. All you have to do is look for it. The fact is you can trust what you read in the Bible to be true historically as well as theologically. This is one of the unique characteristics of Christianity. It is a faith that is founded in history and can be tested against history. Jesus was a literal man who lived 2,000 years ago. His life, death and resurrection are all recorded historical events. Likewise, David, Moses and Abraham are also historical figures whose exploits are detailed in the scriptures as well as the archaeological record. The book of Genesis doesn't suddenly change from a book of allegory in the first 11 chapters to a book of history thereafter. Despite what the media might say, science has not proven Genesis to be a fable. The theory of evolution falls apart under close scrutiny. The word of God stands firm. I recall a conversation with Pastor Joel earlier this year when we were discussing some of these types of issues, as we do. A comment he made resonated with me. And he said this, 
When reading the Bible, I wonder if people read what they believe or do they believe what they read? I think that is a very profound observation. So what about you? Do you read what you believe or do you believe what you read? May I encourage you to trust and believe what you read in the Bible. It is your sure foundation. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word which is inspired by you. It addresses your plan for mankind, your plan of salvation through Jesus. And Lord, it is your recorded history of the world. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for the peace and the assurance that comes through reading what you have created, what you have observed, what you have built up in this world. And we thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, for the peace and the love and the joy that we have in Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our salvation. We thank you, Lord, and I pray that every person who hears this message has a renewed sense of purpose and assurance in reading your word, knowing that it is the word of God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.